Amen. Thank you, worship team. The interesting thing about that song that we just sang is the power behind the story and the testimony that it was written to proclaim. You see, uh, the reason I asked Justin uh, to, to lead us in that song this morning was Jeremy Camp released that song uh, shortly after the passing of his wife uh, of less than one year, or very briefly. They were newlyweds. She found out she had a severe form, I believe, of cancer. And he worked through it by writing music. And he said, even in the midst of this great darkness, I will walk by faith. Now, I don't know if he actually wrote this song or if this was just a declaration. It's a biblical one. But while we may not see all the the ways the Lord has before us, the book of Hosea reminds us that God is with us and that he's inviting us home, and we can step forward with great confidence walking by faith. We suffer loss, and God holds us ever tighter. We suffer discouragement, and God draws us nearer. We suffer setbacks and unplanned situations, and God reminds us of his sovereign will. We suffer sin at our own doing. And God says, come home. That's the heart of the message of Hosea. And you will hear me say it over and over and over for the rest of my ministry career because it's so powerful. And so I'd like you to open your Bibles to Hosea chapter 1. And we're going to dive in this morning uh, and we're going to read a whole chapter. Wow, Pastor Mike's covering a lot of ground this week. Not really, it's like nine verses, Uh, 12. Uh, We're going to skip verse one because I think we sufficiently covered that last week. And so this week we're going to look at the reality of what I think had to be one of the three or four most difficult conversations in the entire Bible. Because as we said last week, Hosea was in a position to hear from God and had to do certain things to prepare himself for such. And when he was called by God as a prophet, uh, one of the first of the minor prophets, remember, to the northern territory of Israel, and, and I'll unpack what that meant a little bit later on, but Hosea was called to speak exactly what God had spoken to him and to do exactly what God told him to do. And this is what God told him to do. When the word of the Lord began to speak through Hosea, The Lord said to him, go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, doesn't want to switch for me, so. Thankful for this, we have the real Bible here as well. Then the Lord said to Hosea, call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day, I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Gomer conceived again, And gave birth to a daughter. 
Then the Lord said to Hosea, call her Lo Ruhamah, which means not loved. For I will no longer show love to Israel that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to Judah and I will save them not by bow, sword or battle or by horses and horsemen, but I, the Lord their God, will save them. After she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, Gomer had another son. Then the Lord said, call him Lo-Ami, which means not my people. For you are not my people and I am not your God. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. The people of Israel, or the people of Judah and the people of Israel will come together. They will appoint one leader and will come up out of the land for great will be the day of Jezreel. And then the beginning of chapter two says, say of your brothers, my people, and of your sisters, my loved one. Wow, that's uh It's not the easiest passage we ever read in the Bible, is it? Why in the world would God do such a thing? I'm going to take a moment and change something up here. We're going to scoot this over so we can see what's going on. Why on earth would God give such a hard assignment to Hosea? And the answer is a pretty simple one. By the way, if you got a bulletin, you have the, the message notes with you. So even if all of our tech goes awry, you can follow along with your bulletin. So keep those and then we'll upload a filled in PDF uh, for you that you can download in the week to come. But I want to put things into perspective as we look just right at the very beginning at, ver- at chapter two of this hard or at verse two of this hard assignment. What do you do when your boss gives you that job you really want to do, you don't want to do? Or when your supervisors say, this is the way it has to be, whether you like it or not. Our human nature, especially if you've grown up in cultures that don't tend to value collective thinking, in other words, unified working together, so let's call it what it is, a more Western independent mindset, we tend to, what what you would say, bristle at that. We tend to try to reject that if we're told to do something we don't really want to do, right? And we can come up with all sorts of reasons to justify why we don't want to do that. Or maybe we don't, extrinsically, we don't externally say, I'm not going to do that. We do something far simpler for most of us. And all cultures seem professionally good at this called procrastination, right? We put it off till later, hoping that at some point uh, our supervisors, our teachers, our educators, our bosses, our leaders will forget that they asked us to do that. Or that maybe we'll just wake up and we no longer have to do that job, right? We're not wired, per se, to want to do the hard things all the time. Can you imagine Hosea being told by God, go marry a promiscuous woman? Uh, In the ESV, they use the word, a woman of whoredom. In older translations, they just call her a prostitute. Now, we don't actually know because of variations in translation from the Hebrew 
whether she was an actual prostitute or just a very, very unfaithful wife. But we know going in, Hosea was about to marry Gomer, a woman that he knew all along was going to cheat on him. And that was what God had told him to do. He was given a hard assignment with a redemptive message. I don't believe God just told Hosea the first part of this. Because even as we look at chapter 1 and then we see the messages that come out of it throughout the remainder of the book of Hosea, we see Hosea pointing people God back to what's called the chesed of God. The chesed of God was this word that's bigger than we can translate in English that means steadfast love, how the NIV translates it, means Loving kindness and loving faithfulness is how uh, the ESV often translates it. Others use a variety of words from mercy to faithful to love and all because we don't have a rich enough word to say that God's steadfast, immovable, unchangeable, eternal, forever chasing, forever pursuing, and forever holy, righteous, and just love compels us to act in a manner that trusts him. That's the heart of hesed, which is the heart of the message of Hosea. And you find that word throughout the book of Hosea. But for Hosea himself, take a moment and remember, this was a human man that had been given a difficult job to do by God, to be the anthropomorphic rev, uh, representation, anthropomorphic, the physical representation of God's message. Literally, God was the representation physically of God to the people of Israel, the rebellious people that they were. And the physical manifestation of that was Hosea himself. He was to show the people what faithfulness was to look like. But to do that, God gave him a job to marry Gomer. And we're going to talk more about Gomer next week, but uh, Hosea itself jumps ahead and goes straight to the children. And so this hard assignment that was given was one to make the people of Israel ask two questions. Why was unfaithfulness such a big deal to God? Well, If you've been in a marital relationship for any length of time and you've been cheated on, it's a horrible and devastating and painful thing, I suspect. Well, God invited the people of Israel, all of the people, the United Kingdom. Now, they had split. There was two kingdoms now. There was the people uh, from David's tribe and one other. uh, That was the tribe of, or the, the people of Judah that were the southern kingdom and then the northern kingdom, the ten tribes of Israel. And they'd been split off over a uh, civil war because uh, the northerners felt like the southerners were getting all the good stuff and they were having to do all the hard work up north. There's a a short-form summary of what happened over numbers of years post the reign of Solomon. But in so doing, uh, God has called these people to remember to be faithful to him because what had happened is they had become a very religious people. Across the world, religion was spreading, but the religion that was prominently spreading was false. It was the worship of Assyrian gods or Babylonian gods, or not too far from them, even the Greek and Roman gods were beginning to take root. You know, this time of Hosea was when the Olympics began. 
uh, back in uh, around the 8th century BC. So lots of prosperity, lots of comfort, and lots of self-sufficient worship of false gods. None greater than the worship of the Baals, which promoted things that were easy for people to follow or uh, focused on earthly pleasures rather than on pleasing the Lord. The people of Israel, the covenant people of God, the chosen people of God, what he will refer to as his bride, had cheated on him by chasing other gods. Of course it's a big deal to God. He was being cheated on by the ones that were not only called to be faithful to him, but we're supposed to be showing the world what it looks like to be loved by God. Let me say that again. Not only was Israel being unfaithful, but they were missing out on their call of showing the world what it means to be loved by God. The root of the message of God's people, Israel, is that God loves you and invites you home. And he uses Israel as a way to show the world there's a better way to live. In the new covenant, he uses what? His church, us. We are called to show the world there's a better way to live. And we're going to touch on that later on. So Hosea gets this message. Go marry a promiscuous woman. Lord, do I have to? Yep. Are you sure? Did you misunderstand yourself as you, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were talking? No, we're all on board here. This is what you should do. We're going to show the people of Israel a tangible lesson of what their actions look like. Okay, God. Well, then you're supposed to have some kids, Hosea. Okay. And you'll have three. The first kid shall be named what? Jezreel which means shortly or simply God sows it. Uh, Back in the time of a king, most think this happened around the time of King Ahab uh, when Israel was at its most unfaithful. Um, God allowed tremendous judgment to fall upon his people on numerous occasions for their unfaithfulness. And in that, Jezreel was often represented as a, a term for Israel and their stubborn rebellion And so God says, name your first kid Jezreel. God sows it. God's going to discipline you. That's a great name for your kid, isn't it? I want us to think about names for a second. If you have children, do you remember what it was like to try to come up with a name that both you and your spouse agreed with? Does anybody remember that? I believe somewhere in my house are still multiple books of thousands of baby names, yet not one of them is any good, according to my wife and I, especially when you're trying to get them all to start with the letter I. We did not succeed. You know this. But it's this huge thing, and then some families, they'll never tell anybody what the name is unless somebody else might think of that name and steal it from them. You know, naming a child is a big deal. Some of you, you want the name that sounds right, that doesn't sound too old-fashioned or too trendy. Others want the names to have meanings. Others want the names to fit in well with each other. There's all sorts of logic we go behind uh, to, to choose these names. And it becomes this labor of tension and this labor of focus. And God took all that away for Hosea and Gomer. And he says, name your kid, he's God sows it. God sows discipline. That's the name Jezreel. Well, that's encouraging. 
But he doesn't stop there because not only will he soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel and put an end to the kingdom of Israel, which was coming roughly 10 years after the prophetic voice of Hosea had been stopped. So this was coming soon. But then he says, you're going to have another kid. And this is where it gets interesting with commentators, and I'll explain in a moment. But her name, he has a daughter, will be Lo-Ruhama. Ah, oh, that sounds pretty, doesn't it? Except for the fact that it means you are not loved. Hi, kid. You're not loved. That's your name. Get used to it. You are not loved. Wow. You see, in Hebrew culture, the name you carried meant so much. Those meanings were of great value and great thing. And here, Jezreel, is, God's going to punish us. And now, Loruhama, you are not loved. And these two kids were walking metaphors of God's plan for the people of Israel. And Hosea, this righteous, faithful man, is called to name children this. Now, here's the even bigger question. He was to marry a promiscuous wife, a woman that slept around. There are many scholars that think his younger two children were not his. But he was charged with raising them and keeping them in his home. How painful would that have been to bring the children of cheating and unfaithfulness into his home and look at her and say, yeah, you're not loved, you're not mine. Oh, wait, no, because that's the next one. Loami, not my people. Most, just about every historian and scholar says definitely Loami was not Hosea's kid and it varies whether we believe that his second child, his first and only daughter was his or not uh, with Gomer. But we know Gomer had three children. Uh, The first was God... uh, will reap what he sows. Uh, In other words, discipline is coming. The second, not pitied or not loved. And the third, not my people. These are hard lessons. Hosea's family was a living picture of how God felt about Israel. So let me pause here and ask a question moving on 3,000 years. How would God feel about the church today? What names might he give the church today? How faithful are we with the task that he's, been, he's given us to know him, to love him, to make him known? Later on this afternoon, we're going to seek to honor the Lord in celebration of a life well-lived in dedication and holy reverence and fear of God and a commitment to sharing him with others. I can't say enough about the inspiration Shirley was to me from the first time I met her and talking about her love of the word uh, to her desire to share Christ with anyone she came in contact with. But what would others say about us? Would people know we are the people of God? Or would we be known as not his people? Because we're chasing other things. 
recently in the South China Morning Post and the Education Post, uh, there was uh, an article written about uh, a lady, uh, where did they... Where was she from? She was from one of the new territories, but she has said that she wants to take tiger parenting, which was the Amy Chua, the the thing where you're just, you organize and do everything for your children in order that they will succeed. She wants to go a step further, that you begin planning their success, even as in terms of when they are conceived so that they're born in the month of January because they'll be more successful then because that gives them the best chance of having the right education at the right time. And so this woman has this whole theory and it it, it explains how broken the focus has been on academics and on performance and all of this thing around the idea that our children are our legacy. But the problem is in the process, we've lost sight of the relational value of growing with our families. And these kids walked the earth as Hosea's children being visible examples that God loves his people enough to discipline them. Paul tells us just that, that God disciplines those he loves. And this would be the beginning. This is the first of the minor prophets that you read in the Old Testament. And this is the first and one of the oldest. This and Amos uh, were the two, chronologically, the first two and the only two really to spend time in Israel predominantly that were to show the people to come back. Amos was much harsher. God used Hosea to be the gentle approach. Hosea suffered more than the people of Israel. Hosea's message was one of redemption and grace and mercy. And Amos, if you read through Amos, it's much, you people are stiff-necked, foolish, sinful, and wrong, and God will judge you harshly. Hosea was called to take a different approach, an approach that shows us who God is, that God is a gracious, oops, sorry, a gracious and faithful God. What do I mean by that? Well, I'll show you. You see, amongst God, great unfaithfulness, God is faithful. Look at verse 10 in your Bibles. Yet the Israelites will be like sand on the seashore. There's your first thing that God's not done yet. Oops, we've moved ahead here. A gracious and faithful God. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, you are not my people. Notice God doesn't change. He doesn't say that he didn't do that. So that has already been said. But in that place, they will be called, what? Children of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will come together and they will appoint one leader and will come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. It's moved from a place of massacre, from a place of judgment and discipline, to a place of redemption and hope. Because God is bringing his people back. Had Israel changed? Had they repented? We get no picture of that here. We get a picture of God chasing his people and making a way for them to come back home. What is that way, you might ask? Well, that a leader, that leader that would be appointed, most feel this is a messianic prophecy that's pointing to the work that Jesus will do. Jesus will make a way for us 
broken, sinful, unfaithful people, wherever we find ourselves on the journey, to come home to the Lord. Because he is gracious and faithful as God. He stays with us. Time and again, uh, in, in, in many cases, in marital counseling, I've heard people say that, why should I be faithful to them when they've been unfaithful to me? And here we see this picture of God telling Hosea, don't do that. Don't let yourself ask that question. Stay faithful to Gomer. In fact, as we get into chapters two and three, you'll see just to what end that meant for him that he would be married to a woman that he wasn't knowing as his wife, but would stay true to her and would go by her back in the midst of her unfaithfulness, in the midst of children that were not his own. Hosea was called to bring her home, to bring her back to a place of love and of identity in him. And that was Hosea's message because that was God's message for Israel. I am making a way for you to come home. Deuteronomy 7 says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. There is only one God, and he is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations for all those who love and keep his commandments. Now, I want us to be clear here as we continue to wrestle with Hosea because it can be confusing and I want to make it real simple because the heart of the message is very simple. God gives free will. He has given us the choice and the freedom to choose to reject him or to follow him. That is throughout scripture. The people of Israel had the choice. From the moment the law was given, they could choose to follow his ways knowing that those ways were the ways that brought them out of the slavery of Egypt, that parted the Red Sea, that delivered the promised land, or they could choose to do it on their own and do their own thing and do their own way. Now, they chose time and again to do their own thing and to do their way. Even in uh, the, the walking, when God would miraculously provide for them, the people were known to complain and say, God, we know better. Think of the golden calf that was raised because They hadn't heard from God in a little while and they hadn't heard from Moses in a little while, so let's make our own God. Well, years later, you know what happened in the northern kingdom of Israel? In Bethel, which was one of their religious cities of the day, they made a golden calf and they worshiped the golden calf. The sins of their youth had caught up with them and were a continual pattern for them later. The sins of unfaithfulness. And God is saying, I will be faithful to those who are faithful to me, but I also know that everyone is unfaithful to me, and so I am making a way for you to come back. The theme verse of Hosea can be found in chapter 2, in verse 19. It says, I will betroth you to me forever. It's an unconditional statement. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion, I will betroth you in faithfulness, Hesed, and you will acknowledge the Lord. You will come back to me. In the New Testament Greek, that would be repent. You will turn away from your sinful ways, away from your unfaithfulness, and you'll come home. And I am making a way for that. I am connecting you to me eternally. 
And for the people of God, that was going to be completed through the miraculous work of Jesus Christ. But 700 some years before that happened, God was showing his people he loves them enough to draw them back. Despite their horrible unfaithfulness, despite the fact that they needed discipline, God disciplines those he loves. Despite the fact that they would live with their choices, you are not loved. You are not a people of love. Despite the fact that they had rejected God, they were telling him, this isn't God saying, I'm forgetting about you. This is them saying, God, we don't need you. We are, you are not our God. If that's what you choose, people, God will look at you and say, that's fine. You can do it on your own. And he will allow us to live with the consequences of those decisions. Within a few short decades, the people of Israel were the first to go into exile, the first to be enslaved by Assyria, later Babylon, and the pattern continued long after. They made the choices, but God didn't stop it. He didn't say, my love for you has ended. He said, I will continue to pursue you. I will continue to draw you back to me through the ministry of reconciliation. Because Hosea 2.1, really, let's start just a couple verses before with verse 11. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will come together. That itself is a miraculous thing. People enraged in a civil war over centuries would be drawn back together. God would make all things new. God would bring people back to himself and bring them back to right relationship with each other. In 2 Corinthians 5, this is called the ministry of reconciliation. God reconciling himself to us. Not because he's done something wrong, but because we had. He gave us the person of Jesus Christ, who him who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. So he provides all of this to draw us back to himself. It says Jesus has provided the way for you to have right relationship with God through the Son by the power and miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. But not only that, but here's the part that traditionally, since the church was formed, the church has really wrestled with. We love accepting the grace of God in our lives through Jesus Christ. But we have had a hard time giving that grace away to fellow brothers and sisters in the family. Does that make sense? Let me try again. Throughout human history, from the moment the church was established, the new covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ was formed. So the 2,000 years of church history, the church has struggled to love one another well. We have time and again been known for who we're against, or what we're against rather than who we're for. In my home country of America, we have more denominations than anyone can keep up with. And a denomination is just a way of saying that somewhere along the line, we disagreed over some issues, so we started our own thing. And that all went all the way back to the time of the Reformation. There wasn't always a Catholic church and a Protestant church. There was one church that lost sight of the glory of God, that lost sight of God being about a relationship with him, with his word being the way 
that we learn how to follow him. And we lost sight of that. So 2,000 years on, we still wrestle with the idea of how do we treat one another. And we see in Hosea 2.1, say of your brothers, you're my people. And of your sisters, you are my loved ones. Can you think of how powerful a story that must have been for those two kids? You weren't mine. I didn't love you. Now I do. Now you're mine. You are part of the family. In Romans, Paul teaches us because of what Jesus has done for us, we have been adopted as co-heirs with Jesus Christ, as brothers and sisters of the Most High God through the work of Jesus. We have been adopted into the family. Another visual image we're given is that the church, much like the people of Israel, we are now the bride of Christ. And as such, the groom will continue to chase us. He will never be unfaithful. He will never leave us nor forsake us. There's never a place we can get that's away from his love. Do we realize that today? Do we realize the depth and breadth and height of God's love for us? Paul's prayer was that we would begin to grasp how wide and deep and high and long is the love of Christ for us. So much that he would chase us down and give his own blood and his own body to be broken for us so that we, an unfaithful people, could be brought home. But not only that, that as he invites us home and he invites us into a righteousness that's given by God through Jesus Christ, but that he invites us to look at our neighbors on our left and our right and say, we're in this together. The wrongs that we've committed to each other have been forgotten. They've been thrown to the depth of the ocean floor to be remembered no more. And as First and Second Corinthians teaches us, we are called to live in unity one with another as we show the world how to come home as we move from being not his people and not loved and disciplined to a people of grace, of faithfulness, of hesed love. We are invited to live that way toward others. Faithful even when the other person doesn't deserve it. Gracious even when they don't give grace to us. Merciful even when it's not fair. Because in so doing, we will show a broken, homeless world there's a better way to live. In so doing, the depth of God's love will be richer still inside of us. And out of the overflow of our hearts, our mouths will speak of the goodness and greatness of God, our Father and King. God continually invites us home, no matter how unfaithful we've been. Hosea's call was a simple one, to show people 
who though they were apart from God, there was no length which God wouldn't go to bring them home. Tough lesson to be lived for Hosea, but one which it almost seems he took joy in saying, God is a tender God. He loves you people. He loves you even though you're unfaithful. So my question for us as a church today is first, maybe you've never believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you've never felt you could believe in such an abstract thing. Well, I'm here to tell you the love of Christ is not nearly as abstract and unknowable as we make it. It's really quite simple. God loved the world so much that through giving his son, his perfect and, and spotless, sinless, sin is a way of saying we've missed the mark, we've missed the right way to live, and, and we've chosen to go our own way. Through Jesus Christ, who was perfect and without sin, God gave us a way to know him by Jesus paying the price for our sins. Because all of us have sinned. There's not a person in this room that has not sinned. But those who believe in Jesus Christ, we have been forgiven and we have been brought home. Now that hasn't been completed yet because we know that Christ is going to return and restore this broken world into the new heavens and the new earth where we are in unity with God once for all, where we're enjoying him forever. But while we wait... We're invited to live as light. We're invited to live as faithful people showing a broken world there's a better way. There's a way home. So if you've never been introduced to that way home, it's really simple. We accept that Jesus Christ came, that he is Lord, and that he invites all to believe in him. It's not an exclusive claim. He makes it to all the world. He says, all of humanity, you are invited home if you would but believe in me as the only way home, the only way to God. He's the only way. That is exclusive. There's no other way. And yet we time and again fight with that and we come back and we realize that all the other ways of the world that we seek don't provide the fulfillment and the hope that we'd hoped they would. The success, the status, the fame, the fortune, the choosing to do it our way, that in the end they feel empty and hollow. And so we're invited to believe in Jesus Christ as the one that came to save us from ourselves, to save us from unfaithfulness. And then we're invited simply to confess that we are sinners and that he is Lord that he is the true king and that we'll follow him, that we'll trust him with every part of our life because we believe that there's got to be a better way to live than trusting our own reasoning. And we know that way is Jesus Christ who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life because we all deep down, whether we know it or not, want to live in the way. We want to know there's a right way to live. We're all created with an inherent knowledge that there is a right and wrong. We've just become very jaded to that and we've defined it in our own terms and said that it can be different. God, through Jesus, says, nah, it's me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You want to get home, it's through Jesus Christ.
So today, if you've never called on the name of Jesus, I invite you to do that, and I'll give you an opportunity to do that in just a moment. But what about those of us that call ourselves Christ followers, believers in Jesus, Christians? You know all the right answers. You know what I'm going to say before I say it. Maybe not Hosea, because not too often do we study the book of Hosea. But we know that God loves us. We know that he's faithful. But yet come Monday morning, we put him over on the shelf and go about our daily lives. And then come Sunday morning, we're like, I got to act like a Christian again today. Right? Don't answer out loud. There are times when we do that. But deep down, just as um, Hosea was to be to the people of Israel, a painful mirror that they had to look at. Can you imagine the people of Israel? Hey, have you met my three kids? Here's disciplined. Here's not loved. And here's not my people. Why'd you name them that, Hosea? Well, because that's God's message to you. Oh. Now, unfortunately, we don't get a whole lot of insight that many people in Hosea's time responded. In fact, we know full well that most didn't. But that doesn't mean God's love was any different. He was showing a way back. For you, maybe you feel like, Mike, you don't understand. I've turned too far away. I know I'm at church, but I don't feel close to God at all. You know what God says to you? Come. I'm waiting for you. In fact, I'm chasing you. I'm not waiting passively. I am aggressively chasing you down with love, with compassion, and with a justice that already paid your penalty. You can come back. I got you. But Mike, you don't understand. My sin is so great. I was so unfaithful to God, to my spouse, to my family, to my job, to my... And you fill in the blank. And I say to you, you know what? I, I may not understand. I'm a pretty, pretty you know, selfish guy in my own right, and I, and I have a hard time understanding others at times. But you don't need me to understand because God already does. How do I know that? Jesus, the very one that brings us home, says, come all who are weary and I will give you rest. You'll find rest in me. Come all you who are overworked, heavy burdened, because you put so much expectation on yourself that you can't live up to the statutes you've set before. You say, God has placed so much on me. He has not. He has said, come, and I will give you the strength to live a right life. But we're busy adding to his word. We're busy making it hard. It is hard to follow Christ. Don't misunderstand. He might ask us to do hard things. None, I believe, harder than what Hosea had to do. Haven't found that to be too true. Uh, The hardest thing I can think of is giving our life, but Paul got it right when he said, for me to live is die and Christ is gain. Or for me to live is Christ and die is gain. There you go. See? I'm saying all that to remind you, it doesn't matter how far away you've gotten. It doesn't matter the depth of your sinfulness inside that maybe no one even knows. God is standing with the person of Jesus Christ at his right hand and with the convicting power of the Holy Spirit working in this room right now. 
saying, come home. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The word all there is, I believe, the most important word in that entire verse. Because nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Isn't it time to come home? Isn't it time to say, Lord, you are my Lord. I believe in Jesus Christ. And I am forever known as a child of the Most High God. Maybe today is the day you will say that for the first time. Don't let a moment go by. My oldest just watched the the first uh, God's Not Dead movie. And at the end of it, spoiler alert, there's a, 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 a painful car accident of which someone dies. And we don't know whether another moment has passed, another moment is given. We don't know whether another breath will be given to us. So we're charged to live in a way that makes the most of today. Glorifying God and giving our whole lives for his service first. If you've never met Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's so simple. Accept that he is Lord. Believe that he came to save you and confess that you need forgiven and you will be saved. And those that feel so far God, I can't even open my Bible. Mike, I don't even want to read Hosea. It strikes at home too much. It's too painful. And God says, well, that's exactly why I gave you the book. To show you that people for thousands of years have been unfaithful, and I keep on inviting them home. And I'm inviting you home today wherever you are. God says, I'm chasing and I will continue to pursue you because I am with you and I love you and you are my creation, my workmanship and you've got work to do. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads and maybe there's some of you that need to respond, and I'm going to give you the chance to do that. I'll invite the worship team to come on up. Lord, we're less than 20 verses into the redemptive story of Hosea, but it's so powerful that you have remained faithful even when we haven't been. You are the faithful spouse. Yet we've cheated on you, saying we know better ways to do it than your way. So for us that have said Jesus is Lord in our hearts, but then chosen to go our own way time and again, please forgive us. And you church fill in the blank with what we're asking forgiveness for. Please forgive us for our selfish pride our ambition, our unfaithfulness, our sin. Be specific. God already knows, and he loves you enough to give you Jesus. And Lord, in the same way 
I believe there's those in this room today that have never believed in Jesus, whether it's from an intellectual reason of saying there is no God. But yet, God, we see evidence of you at work all around us. The mountains declare the glory of the Lord. We are transformed people because of who you are and what you've done. And above all, we're a world that knows we need hope. And that hope is only found in you. So if someone has never called on your name this morning, Lord, please, I invite them to pray this prayer. Lord, you gave us Jesus Christ, your son, as our savior. I believe he is my savior. Please forgive me for my sins and transform me from the inside out, emptying me of what the Bible says is my old self and filling me with the power of your Holy Spirit to teach me a new and better way to live. Amen. That's the prayer. Let's sing together as we close. Please stand once again.